I wanted to begin this morning with you guys is really in a new, uh, new direction, okay? Easter's coming up April 4th, uh, and on that April 4th Sunday, we want to start putting the bug in people's ears. We want to start inviting folks because that Sunday, April 4th, we're going to have two services, one at 9 a.m., one at 11 a.m., we're going to have a brunch over in the uh, fellowship hall uh, between services at 10 a.m. And um, we're really excited about that. No evening services. We're not doing evening services for a little while. Uh, we're trying to gear back up for Sunday school and, and, and some of our small group ministries. But the Saturday before Easter, uh, the, the Easter egg hunt that we do annually, it's a big deal. Uh, we're doing that Saturday, April 3rd. Uh, the special events committee headed by Luke Fenton is in charge of trying to get some stuff prepared for that. We've got banners ordered. We've got tracks ordered. Uh, we've got Bibles ordered. We do a really evangelical job at gathering uh, parents and children together in the fellowship hall. We have a brunch there, uh, and then we... Uh, we share the gospel. <laughs> We're, we've got an awesome video this year. Uh, myself or whomever will be presenting the gospel. And then we just go out and have fun. And uh, you may wonder, well, what in the world does uh, eggs and candy have to do with Easter? And not a whole lot, okay? Um, but if it draws people in and it builds fellowship within the community and it allows us the opportunity to share the gospel, we're sure going to take it. And so we will do that. And that leads into what we're talking about as we're leading up to Easter. Over the next few weeks, um, and, and this being the first one, uh, I want to look at the Passion Week. And what is that? Palm Sunday. Now, that's not today. That's a few weeks away. But uh, Easter is even a few weeks down the road. But in order for us to kind of break down what Jesus was doing that week, uh, we have to kind of take it daily. And uh, so today, I really want to look at, and if you had a bulletin, you can kind of see on the back, we'll, we'll break this down, and I'll put it on the screen next week where it's more easy to understand. But Jesus' last week, it began with Sunday, and he would make a triumphal entry into the city, riding on the back of a, a colt, a foal, a, a young donkey. Uh, typically, a king would ride into the city triumphant and victorious on a mighty stallion, a steed, but Jesus comes in humbly, and it was very evident of his mission, but people missed it. On the Monday uh, that he would, uh, he spent the night there in Bethany, and then on the Monday, uh, we know that he would curse the fig tree and that he would cleanse the temple. Now, every gospel has a little bit different portions of this story, but if you want to read Matthew's account, Matthew 21 is a great place to begin, uh, really where Jesus is entering the city, entering into Jerusalem. Now, you know why Jesus was coming in. We all know it. It was according to God's plan because he was to be crucified. But he entered triumphantly with people heralding him as the king. Hosanna was shouted. And we'll sing Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and those songs uh, over the next couple of weeks. But it is a moment of heralding the king. And Jesus is entering to celebrate Passover. And I think it only sets the stage well to talk about Passover from the Old Testament and not the coincidences, but the similarities that occur between the Old Testament and Jesus coming into the city to celebrate Passover. But to begin with, we know that both spiritually and secularly, Easter has become a big thing, especially to our world today. Um, I don't know for some of those of you who work at Hobby Lobby and some different places, Walmart, uh, I know that you probably, <laughs> you probably get tired of hearing people 
gripe about holiday stuff being put up early. Uh, our Valentine's Day stuff won't even be put down before you'll see bunnies and chicks and chocolate eggs and all sorts of stuff that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and his resurrection. But it's a big holiday. And I think one of the reasons why we love Easter so much is that it brings with it newness, new life. I, I was sitting in my office early this morning and I could hear birds chirping uh, outside and uh, there's this renewal, there's this greenness and growth and budding and flowering and man, we're just tired of the winter and we want something new and along with it comes the rains but the rains bring the flowers, we have the sunshine, we have the pollen, we have days like this where for some reason, we change our clocks uh, twice a year, and uh, obviously I'm not a huge fan of that, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But a lot of us get wrapped up in the extravagance of Easter. Man, we want to make sure that we have the nicest dresses, and that's my wife, thank goodness, that she's the one who's thinking already, I don't know, she's panicking what we're going to wear for Easter because we've got to be matching, and the boys have to have something cute, and she's got to have something nice, and of course, I have to have something that matches the rest of them, and it's probably going to be in pastel and uh, stuff I would never buy for myself. But man, we, we get so caught up in the experience of Easter, and then there's others, like Miss Linda Skaggs, who had commented last night on, on a post just talking about, hey, we're having this service today and leading up to Easter, and she said that she was really having a difficult time uh, kind of getting in the mode of Easter, and we can all agree and relate to that. Um, it, it's easy to make it just another day, and we don't want it to become that. We want it to be special, and so that's the purpose and the intent behind this series. It's called Behold Your King, and for anybody who's wondering, uh, the name comes from uh, those who would crucify Jesus and, and those who would mock and mimic him, and you know, they're really saying to the world at large, Behold your king. He's not much of one, is he? And yet we know so much differently. And the study that I, I really studied from uh, was a Lifeway women's study of all things. And I found content that I wanted to look at a few weeks ago. And I, I loved how it laid the days out. And so I kind of used that as a guide. If you want to do that, you can go to Lifeway and find a study by the same name, Behold Your King. And uh, you can study along. It's really deep and detailed. But we're going to try to break it down into a more palatable uh, number of bites over the next few weeks. We want to explore more than just the surface level of Easter and going out to eat and dressing up nice and bunnies and eggs and egg, egg hunts. We want to look at the deeper meaning of what God was doing in Jesus' death, why the resurrection matters so much, and what it looks like leading up to the days of Christ's crucifixion, of his resurrection, and then of his glorious ascension some 40 days later. And so we're going to focus a lot on the, the Passion Week. That's what we call this week of uh, triumphal entry into uh, the resurrection. And the Passion Week is really just the last few days of Jesus' 33 years on earth. It's a, a look at what he did, and yet chapters and chapters of every gospel are devoted to this one week. And it's so improportionate uh, to what we look at with the rest of the gospels that so much is focused on this past week. And one of the reasons for that is because it's Jesus' last moments. And I, I really believe that during the last few moments of our lives, maybe we're sick. Uh, I know so many that are in hospice right now that, um, that are, are struggling with that. People who have lost loved ones so, so close to me and close to you recently. But it's in those last moments that we pray for an opportunity 
If it was me on my deathbed, I want my family. I want my babies around me. I want the people that I care about the very, very most. And what I hope to accomplish in those moments if I'm able to speak is I want to communicate my most passionate and deepest desires to express love to them, to tell them how much they mean to me and how much I love them and to carry on in faith. And, and it's no different with Jesus. It's true with him. His last actions, his last words that are recorded in the Bible carry such extraordinary meaning, such love and such purpose. And it's like he's gathered us around the cross. And it's like he, he is saying there with his last breaths, pay attention, listen. I'm sharing with you something that is of eternal importance. Listen to me. And so we see throughout this entire week that Jesus finished well. He walked through the hardest assignment that God would ever give anyone. We watch him suffer with perseverance, with dignity, with poise, with sinlessness. Man, at any moment, he could have struck back those who struck him. He could have called down legions of angels to rescue him. He could have smitten everybody and wiped everybody that was there against him out. And yet, that's not why he came. That first century world, much like our world today, was languishing in pain. There was a lot of hopelessness and injustice that was going on. And Jesus burst on the scene, sort of like spring does with winter. He came into a people who would be offered a new way of life and joy so that they wouldn't have hopelessness any longer. He sacrificed himself on the cross. He died and rose again that third day to bring us purpose and joy. And guys, he wants to bring that anew to our hearts this Easter. He's come, and his suffering was meant to bring each one of us new life. As followers of Jesus, we understand the importance of his sacrifice. But we are, just like those voices were lifted up together today, Miss Linda, Miss Dale, Brother Jim have beautiful voices back there singing, but when their voices were combined, there's something even more special. There's a resonation of that voice. And guys, we have a voice, and when we lift our voices up in this hallelujah chorus, we, we join with all the members who have sang of the choir of this Christian life and fellowship throughout the ages, and we make a difference. The praise that we sing changes eternity for many, and it's a sacrifice of praise that Jesus deserves. It's a sacrifice that he gave for us. And so while we're on this side of heaven, we're so uniquely positioned to point other people to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And guys, I don't know what it is that you're going to do this year. I don't know if you have any intentional plans. Miss Teresa shared that testimony with me a couple of weeks ago about how she was so burdened to start a Bible study for some of her unchurched friends. And yet, when that conviction falls, and it falls on all of us in different ways for different reasons, sometimes it's just like she said that we forget it, that it kind of burns out or fizzles out, and yet God, through another that she was sitting with, one of those friends that she had in mind, called her back to it. And guys, I don't know if it's calling somebody to a Bible study, if it's dropping by to pray for somebody, that it's just simply inviting them to be your guest at church. But we need to do something so that people know our Jesus. And it may sound strange to a lot of people who come in, especially people who may be unchurched or people who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. But when Jesus died on the cross to save us from sin, it wasn't a contingency plan for God. It wasn't like Adam and Eve fell from the garden and God was caught off guard. 
And he didn't know what to do. And so he said, well, you know what? Now I'll, oh, let me think. Oh, I know. I'll send Jesus to die here in a while, and it'll make up for everything. God wasn't caught off guard. That dark day on Golgotha, the place of the skull, was God's perfect plan all along. And from the beginning of Scripture, we see God sowing these seeds of hope and redemption. He's foretelling of the Messiah that is to come. You know, almost immediately after Adam and Eve chose to do what was right in their own eyes, we heard God offering and promising a Messiah and a Redeemer, one who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15. God pointed to the coming of Jesus in the Exodus story. He talked about the deliverance and the Passover and the sacrifice of the Lamb. He tells us of a Messiah who's coming to be a servant and who would humbly die for our pride and sin and suffer to help us to avoid all of that and the eternal agony in hell. Jesus fulfilled all of God's plans from the beginning. And one of the reasons why I tell you this is because in the halls of eternity past, God had Easter planned. God had the redemption plan. God had your resurrection plan. God had salvation in store. God had the offer of grace for every one of us. And when we're hopeless, he's offering hope. When we don't have peace, he's giving it to us. He's giving us everything. And I just want you to see this morning that God knew you from before the foundations of the world. God had a plan, a definite purpose for you as you were born. And you may not even understand that plan. You may not even know why you're left here on earth. I've heard so many struggle and say, I'm still here. I don't know why God calls me home. Because he's not done with you. And he's had that plan since before you have consciousness. And he's going to carry that plan out to fruition. And so what I want to do this morning is just jump through a couple of things and walk to the triumphal entry as Jesus is coming in. And, and really, I had to synopse some of these things and make them a lot shorter and smaller than they really are. But the very first thing that I wanted to talk to you about was that Easter, as I just said with you, but Easter was the plan before the foundation of the world. And you know, it's, it may seem weird to start with the fall of Adam and Eve and the temptation in the garden, But it's the place where we need to come to understand why Easter is so powerful and important. Satan had made promises to Adam and Eve. He had marketed under false pretenses these lies. He mixed them with a little sugar and a little truth. And what did Adam and Eve do? They bit. They sold out. Marketers are still selling a false notion of Easter today. And how do they do it? Well, it's not with Jesus. Satan wasn't interested in Jesus. He just wanted to mix a little truth in with it. And guys, we're still buying the lies. Be careful what you're celebrating and worshiping at Easter. The result of Adam and Eve falling was devastating. Sin entered into the world. It brought hopelessness, shame, guilt, darkness, separation from God, so much evil. But we also discover again that God was not caught off guard. He had a plan created. The ultimate hope, a Savior to come. And you look at Genesis 1, and you look where the fall happens in Genesis 3, and there's not a lot of time in between there. But in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. The Bible always begins, and it ends with its focus and foundation on God. Guys, when your life seems shaky, and you feel like you've fallen down, or fallen off a cliff, or fallen in the gutter, or fallen away, go back to the foundation. It's always God. And as we see, 
as the Bible starts there, it doesn't take us long to get to the account of Eve being tempted and deceived by the serpent. We know this beautiful story that turned tragic. They sinned by eating the one and only tree God had forbidden. And Genesis 3 reveals the curse and its repercussions of sin that we know as the fall. Ultimately, guys, and this is why it's so vital to understand, the consequence for sin is death, both physically and spiritually. Up until this point, death wasn't introduced into the world. Adam and Eve were created, and there was no mention of death. But with it, we see the first mention as sin is brought into the world, as the curse falls upon people, that death happens. And it doesn't just kill us physically. It will separate us spiritually from our God. Romans 6.23 is one of the most clear verses in Scripture to speak to this. Eternal separation from God is the result. But God in his goodness, again, always had a plan. We know, guys, I think that everybody in this place, and I pray you would at least do this this morning, that you would attest that there is a sovereign and almighty God, and that you're going to answer to him, that you answer to him today. But we still rebel against him. How often is it intentional? We know God's plan. We know God's calling. We sense God's conviction, and we ignore it. We turn it off like a light switch. But sometimes it's also just as easy to do it unintentionally. We just mess up. We forget. We understand what we should do, but we keep coming up short. There's a hopelessness in this. And guys, a lot of people have given up on life, that it's just futile. What's the point in even trying? Why believe? Why get let down again? And that's because they're lost. But we're not hopeless because we have been found. We're not helpless because he has come to do that for us, which we could not do in the person of Jesus Christ. This morning, guys, if you're sick, he can heal. If you're broken, he can restore. If marriage, if children, if loss, if difficulty, if divorce, if struggle, if debt, whatever the, the, the matter is, the answer is Jesus. And it can't ever be said enough. And the world has to hear it because, guys, we who are Christians need to be told it over and over and over again to even accept it. How much more do those who aren't here need to hear? Beautifully, just as God walked in the garden seeking an Adam and Eve even after they had sinned, God still seeks after us. You know, it would nobody's going to ask you to raise your hand, but... How many of y'all screwed up this morning? Don't raise your hands. How many of us have done something that is displeasing to God? How many of us have gotten angry? Maybe that's just since we've been here this morning. Guys, even after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, had trespassed against him, had lied to his face, God still sought after them, and he still seeks after you. And there's no place to run or hide from God, so it's best to just say, here I am. Instead of expecting us to rise up to him. Guys, there's so many people who think and say even, man, I, I, I know I need to be back in church. I know I, I need to get right with God. But I got to take some time. I got to get some things right in my life. I got to get cleaned up a little bit, like just spiritually. Uh, I've got to get there before I can get there. And there's no mention of that in Scripture. He says, come, and I do the cleaning. 
I take. I relieve burdens. I heal. I restore. I save. And so instead of expecting us to rise up to him, he came down to us. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And of course, if Genesis 3 hadn't happened, there would be no need for Easter. But it did. Yet Easter was not God's plan B. Easter was God's plan A, the salvation of mankind, the resurrection of our souls. And so, to set the stage just a little bit more, I want to talk about Passover. You understand what Passover is, and I think I can kind of sum this up uh, easily. Passover uh, was really talked about in the books of Genesis and Exodus, primarily Exodus. God would introduce this new celebration that would happen each year. And it was to celebrate the, Egypt, or the Israelites in Egypt. They had been slaves for 430 years. Distraught, broken, their, their load was heavy. They didn't see any hope of getting out of Egypt and they were stuck there. And that's how we feel sometimes. But the Passover involves... The Israelites in Egypt, they were slaves. There were plagues. There was lamb's blood involved. There were branches to apply the blood to the doorposts of home, of homes. There was an angel of death. And not so ironically, Jesus began the Passion Week leading up to his crucifixion by going to celebrate Passover. And he's going to picture to us in the New Testament really what Passover was meant to foreshadow and to show the original Passover actually pointed toward the greater sacrifice that Jesus would offer. And this Sunday that Jesus is entering Jerusalem is marking that occasion. It serves as a setting place for a celebration from the, uh, the upcoming deliverance of captivity and slavery to sin. So many millennia ago, God set the Israelites free. And Jesus was about to set us free in Jerusalem once again. But instead of from a physical captivity, he was releasing us from a spiritual bondage. And so on that night in the Exodus account, and it's important to understand your history. Guys, it's important to understand our history as Americans and our, our world history. Because, guys, the ones who are ignorant to it are doomed to repeat it. Right? And we should know our spiritual ancestry and our spiritual history because we don't want to go through the same things that the Israelites did, not only in Egypt, but also in Assyria and Babylon and different places. We don't want to become slaves, and so we should pay attention to what they did and avoid it and listen instead to God. But on that, Exodus, on that night in the Exodus account, God had foretold there was a series of plagues that had happened, and, and it affected the entirety of Egypt. Uh, frogs, lice, water turning to blood, uh, so many other things, and it's leading up to this grand finale because Pharaoh's heart was so hardened and he would not let God's people go that it was going to be the death of the firstborn. Now, this didn't happen suddenly. It wasn't unexpected. People had time to prepare. We talk about today our Doppler uh, radars and, and the preparation time we have before tornadoes living in this area, and we talk about uh, some warning systems in place. God gave warning after warning but people stopped listening god is giving warning after warning still today i pray you haven't stopped listening well, what happens is it leads up to this point where it is promised that the angel of death will come and pass over every house that has taken a spotless lamb they have sacrificed this lamb 
They have taken the lamb's blood, and I know this sounds brutal and graphic, but bear with me because Jesus' death was brutal and graphic. But they took this little lamb, and they didn't waste the lamb. They used its blood, and they took branches of hyssop or, or, or a palm branch, and they applied them to the doorposts over their home. In so doing, it signifies that they had faith to believe God's word was true and that they wanted salvation. But anyone, Israelite or Egyptian or whomever, that did not take that lamb, and by the way, the lamb's body was used to cook the Passover meal, but they took anybody who did not take the blood and apply it, the angel of death did not pass over their home, but he visited their home, and the firstborn was killed. And such a gruesome, graphic experience, I cannot imagine in our neighborhoods, even in our beds, with our ceiling fans going and the central heat and air happening, can you imagine the wailing and grief that you would hear from all corners of our neighborhoods? Can you imagine the despair, the level that affected Pharaoh's house? And yet, it didn't have to be that way. And guys, it's because so many didn't take the warning seriously. And guys, I tell you this again. People will look at me, they laugh at me, they mock me for preaching this. They'll mock you for believing this. They'll mock us for living for Jesus, for singing songs to him, for having faith. And yet, in the end, we will see God's promises fulfilled. And we have to take the warning seriously. The Passover has happened, and Jesus has come. He's a lamb whose blood would be shed. And no longer does it have to be put on the doorposts of our homes, but it has to be applied to our hearts. And when God sees the sacrifice of Jesus and understands the righteousness of Christ that is within us and covering us, when he sees the faith in his son, there is a passing over of death in our lives. There is deliverance. There is redemption. We are allowed. And you know what's crazy is that in that day and age, it was called for for the firstborn son to be killed. Isn't it ironic that God's firstborn, one and only begotten son would become the sacrifice. Instead of taking the firstborn, he gives the firstborn so that you and I could be set free. There is so much power in the Passover story and what Jesus is coming to do to celebrate Passover this Passion Week. It was a reminder, you read Exodus 12, that he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, and he spared our homes. The blood of the Lamb marked the Israelites as God's people and spared them from the death of the firstborn. In the New Testament, Luke reveals that Jesus' family had traveled annually to Jerusalem for Passover. You can read one story from Luke chapter 2 about when Jesus was a child. But this most significant Passover of all, even the, bigger than the one from Egypt, was the one that Jesus was coming to, and he would change it from a Passover meal to the Last Supper, one of our ordinances within the church. And he was setting forth something that would give us even more hope. Long before those Hebrews grew in number, long before they had babies and multiplied and were for hundreds of years enslaved in Egypt, God had a plan to reach his hand down and rescue them. The shed blood of that lamb at the first Passover served the purpose of so, showing such a thing for the Israelites. 
But Passover foreshadowed something greater. And as God had a plan to free the Israelites, so he has a plan. Listen, your, your son, your child, your daughter, your parent, your grandparent, your uncle, your cousin, your niece, your coworker, whomever it is that you think, man, they're gone. And they have no heart for God. They don't want to believe anything I tell them. They won't listen. They've shut me out. They've cast me off. God has a plan for them too. And your plan may not even be able to. I have family members who have blocked me from Facebook, and that's the end of the world for some of us. For some, I'm like, man, thank God. But God has a plan for you, even if you can't speak to them, to still pray for their salvation. Don't give up doing that, because God doesn't give up. While that lamb's blood saved the Israelites from physical death, and it led to a freedom from their oppression in Egypt, Jesus' shed blood saved us from spiritual death and the great tyranny of sin. He died in our place. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserve and gave us freedom. Listen to 1 Peter 1. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, which was inherited from your ancestors. And you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. God has always had a plan of redemption. We've never been overlooked and we've never been forgotten. We have never been forsaken. He didn't leave us helpless or in bondage. He gave us the Passover lamb. This last thing, which I'm just going to touch on, is the triumphal entry. I can talk about this more next week. And I can talk about Monday, the, the Monday that he uh, was in the city as well. But this, this Passion Week began with Palm Sunday, a day where the people of Jerusalem gathered at the gate. The city gates were an important place, and they were celebrating. It also began a week of confusing events that we have to remember. The people at this time in history didn't know anything about Easter. They didn't know anything about the resurrection. They were blind to it. They were, they were days away from attending some very unusual events, but right now at this moment, as Jesus is riding into the city, this gathering is there. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a king, and people obviously recognized this. There was something important about this. They didn't understand why he wasn't on a stallion. They didn't understand why he wasn't wearing a crown, why he didn't have a scepter in his hand, because the people all along had been looking for a Jesus that was going to crush Rome. They were looking for somebody to come in and be the superior to Caesar. They wanted somebody that was going to take them out of slavery and bondage under Rome, Roman oppression, and it was going to bring Jerusalem back to the top and wipe out their enemies. They had seen Jesus do a few cool things. They saw Lazarus brought back from the dead. They saw that he could break bread and feed thousands and thousands of people. And they thought, man, this is the guy. He can feed armies. We can travel wherever we want to go. One of our soldiers gets killed. All Jesus has to do is speak to him, and they come back to life. We're, we're never going to be beaten. And they mistook why Jesus came. Don't mistake why Jesus came for you. In Matthew 21, 9, we read that that crowd was shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest heaven. 
you go to that last slide? Just picture yourself that day in the crowd. And I know that's hard to do because of all the cultural differences and just the stuff. But picture yourself, and maybe you have to close your eyes to do this, and and that's a-okay. But you picture yourself in the crowd that day. Man, are you just pulling down palm branches and laying down your jacket because everybody else is doing it? You see them doing it, and you're like, oh, well, I guess I should do that too. Or are you doing it because you know who he is? You've heard his teaching, you've experienced his miracles, you've traveled, and you've watched him, and you understand that this is the Messiah. Are you one of the ones shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God? Do you see and understand him to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords in your life? Maybe he's something else. Maybe he's something less. There are people in this room today, I believe, that do not see him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. That he's just, man, he was a great guy. I mean, he's up there on the level of Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad and some really good teachers. But he's no Savior. He's no Lord. Maybe you take a moment. Maybe you're in the crowd that day or you're in the crowd here today. And you just want to absorb what all's going on. And you wonder, just for yourself today, and you're really honest with your soul. And you think, man, I, I really wonder who Jesus is. If all the stuff that the preacher says and even Jesus said about himself is true... Or if it's just deceptive. So in this Easter season, as you can see, I, I, I wrote down this idea. It's an urging and an exhortation to stop and to pray and to reflect on who Jesus is and what kind of a follower of Jesus you really are.